Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media production. Skills, training, and technology, part two. Brought to you by Smart Futures. The latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization. Visit smartfutures.org.uk. Um, maybe Nikesh? Sure, yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it, it is one of those, it's one of those ironies where, yeah, you would expect in certain I think that again, it comes down to the structure of where engineering jobs are. It's not as vocational as some of other other industries. You know, you might be a controls engineer, you might be an automation engineer, but it's not necessary that your route then within your company will take you step by step by step to the position where you then want to become an engineering manager or your technology officer or your CTOs and that sort of job. It's not a set route. And it's not always that case. So I think that there is an issue with the clarity of your career path as an engineer. You know, you might start as one, but there's always, you know, it's an industry where you might be pinched from one job to another. If you've got skills, that's that's something that we're talking about is so valuable here, which is why upskilling becomes even more important because the more and more people that have the skill the more of a workforce that we have to put into these engineering manager positions. But what sometimes might happen is they find a controls or an automation engineer and they think, oh, this is a skilled worker. Let's use that skill to take them into another skilled working area. And not to say that an engineering manager position isn't the same level of skill, but we all know that once you become an engineering manager, you stop actually doing you know, hands-on engineering. You start managing a team. So you require then managerial and leadership qualities and that sort of side of things so you start training in that so you know you start to separate from the skill side of things where where that you would have learned in your early stage of your career so i think the the path the career path that you have to take to carry on as a um with an engineer needs to be made clearer um to sort of younger individuals to give them the idea that you know they will then become an engineering manager um eventually um and I, I don't know if Jamie, you want to carry on with the rest of the question, perhaps. Yeah, then. yeah I'm. I'm not sure I have a huge amount to add, to be honest, on on that specific question. But just to sort of follow on on the leadership and management point, I think this is a really um, underappreciated aspect of of the skills gap in manufacturing, and it came out when. Uh, we surveyed members for our 2030 skills report, which came out in September, um, which was the, the biggest priority for investment in training in both the short term and the long term uh, was leadership and management. Um, and I think there is <clears throat> a sort of a sector wide issue here generally about having the right leadership and management skills. We focus a lot on technical skills, you know, and, and understandably so. I think sometimes, you know, in firms and, you know, when we go out and talk to government and when government thinks about skills as well, we don't often think very hard about the leadership and management skills. 
Um, and so we're really seeing that coming through um, from, our, from our members at the moment, um, you know, equipping people with, you know, leadership, line management, uh, sort of people management skills. Um, there's, there's a real issue there. Um, so as well as sort of talking about, you know, whatever technical skills you might need, things like automation, digitalization, net zero, um, you know, trends like flexible working, all of that stuff, you know, requires good leaders and managers um, in, in your business. So that may not be sort of directly um, addressing Colin's question, but I think just following on from those points that Nikesh made, I think the, the general area of leadership and management is, is one where we see members really focusing at the moment. So you were talking about digitalization and and um, you know the increasing need for those skills. Uh, how can we ensure that we can anticipate kind of the broad developments and the competent skills that you know will will require you know in the future? How how do we do that as a as a nation? If you if you have some people who um, perhaps have the transferable skills like like Colin was saying, uh, but might not necessarily move into those into those other positions how do we how do we get the people that we need in the future if they're not coming through from um <clears throat> through universities or, or technician level um uh, jamie <laughs> yeah i think this is really um really about the availability of opportunities to retrain and upskill as well as bringing new talent in, into the sector Again, I think both from an industry perspective and, you know, thinking about things from a, a, a sort of government policy point of view, we spend a lot of time talking about sort of entry routes into the sector um, and maybe not quite so much time um, talking about the opportunities there are to retrain and, and, and upskill. And I think this is something where you know, we would like to see more from government. I think it's an area where sort of government support and business awareness of government support is really patchy. Um, you know, I think people people know what apprenticeships are, you know, and will recruit apprentices at, you know, 16, 17, 18, uh, at level two, maybe level three. Um, and the awareness of, you know, things like skills boot camps to upskill people in, in digital skills um you know there's a new lifelong loan entitlement that government will bring in from 2025 to allow um employees to to, to access funds to upskill between levels four and six throughout their career um awareness of, of those sorts of things is much lower access is is um uh much more patchy um as as I say, so we'd like to see more consistent support for retraining and upskilling. Um, you know, when we look at things like, uh, you know, the net zero target for 2050, such a large proportion of the workforce um, uh, is, is already in work, um, you know, between now and 2050. So it's not just about equipping new people coming into the sector with the right skills it's making sure that you can have uh, the right training provision available now for people who are already in the workplace 
where their jobs might change, um, you know, where the skills needed might change, um, you know, over, over the coming years. Um, really, I think that comes from uh, sort of fostering better relationships, better conversations, interactions between businesses and training providers. We saw when we did our, our work that um, I think more than 50% of manufacturers felt that they couldn't access the right training provision they needed locally. So it needs to be um, focused on businesses having a really active role in shaping the training provision that is available in, in their area to make sure that it is meeting their needs. Um, government is bringing in uh, what it calls local skills improvement plans, which is intended to do just that. It's intended to be a sort of an employer-led forum, effectively, um, to come up with a plan for you know, the local area to make sure that the training provision is, is meeting local labour market needs. And so we need more of that, I think. Um, uh, just as we have in apprenticeships um, over the last 10 years or so, moved to a more employer-led system, that needs to be across the board. Um, so we need more, better access and awareness to retraining and upskilling opportunities, and they need to be shaped by employers um, in, in, in those areas. Um, and it needs to be the training providers and education providers who are responding to the needs of employers. Okay, Nikesh, what do you think? Yep, I, I completely agree there um, with Jamie. I think it's 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 one of those things where we 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 don't quite we don't quite we don't have that level of support from the government that we require in industry, and it does require a high level um, in all areas because these. The, it, it, it's, as Jamie said, these businesses can't do it alone. You know, you need, they need that level of support in areas of training, skills, apprenticeships, um, and funding. You know, funding is one of the biggest things trying to get government funding is like, um, I don't want to use a, a difficult power, <laughs> difficult um, an analogy here, but um, it is difficult. It's not easy to get government funding, but it's something that is required in order to actually to help start tackling this, this skills gap shortage that we have at the moment, but the government does need to act quickly. You know, we are proven to be behind in terms of robot density and digitalization and unemployment and all of these things. We are, we are behind in the rest of the world in comparison. I recently, um, I showed a, a graph at, um, at one of the previous drives and controls events actually, where um, you could see in Europe alone, Spain, Portugal, the Netherlands, Finland, they're all ahead of the UK in terms of adopting robots and digital technologies. And it's, 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 not, it's not where we want to be. And we do need that extra help from our government where, especially now that you know, businesses are losing out through, not losing out, but struggling through this current climate. Um, you know, you've got so many external pressures. They've just come through one external shock and another external shock comes right around the corner you know they don't know what to expect so really and truly if you have that sort of stable government support that's level throughout this time they might actually know that you know okay yeah well we're trying to 
better our carbon footprint at the same time we're trying to increase our digital technologies well we know that our government might have a support boundary for us for our trained workforce so that we can help you know keep keep um, keep our workforce happy and at the same time keep them up to the skills that we need for this ever-changing world because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so mm -hmm. that extra support that the government could provide us with would really could go a long way can you can maybe just define what you mean by kind of extra help from the government is that money or support or what, what do you actually mean by that yeah um both both those things i would say i would say it would be it would be investment opportunities so areas where um you know support schemes similar to um the sort of you know train training councils where the government can provide an area to say you know we will we will give you we'll subsidize your training of your workforce or, you know we will give you um a, a day for your workforce to go and learn a new skill or something like that you know it's, it is a lot lot that the government would be able to give um i mean money is obviously the the key one there from my side of things but i guess jamie you work more on the policy side of things you might be able to um, expand on that i guess yeah i mean i think really what we'd like to see from from government is firstly um reform within the apprenticeship system uh so more flexibility within the apprenticeship levy um to fund other types of training um you know recognizing a really important role that apprenticeships play but they're not always necessarily the, the the right route for for people to go down particularly perhaps for for retraining and upskilling um so you know having a portion of apprenticeship levy funds um for employers to spend on other types of, of training um targeted support for apprenticeships that reflect where there are identified labor and skill shortages um so that you know government uh, government has something called the future skills unit which is intended to sort of identify the areas where you know industry will sort of require skills in say you know three five ten years time and to use that information to target financial support for apprenticeships in those areas so that we're bringing through the skills we need for the future now um i think we'd also just like to see some more targeted support around uh, you know i mentioned leadership and management um there is some very limited government support for that um but we'd like to see that expanded um and using some of the unspent apprenticeship levy funds as well um to target at that sort of upskilling and retraining um and so you know, we know, and, and Aaron, we, we were talking about this just a little bit before, we know that, you know, probably in the forthcoming autumn statement, um, there is not going to be a lot of extra government funding for, for, for you know, skills and most other things, probably, um, in, in, in the coming months and years. Um, but with things like the apprenticeship levy, there is the opportunity to use existing money better um and better tailor that to what employers need um and and so we'd like to see that as a priority this talking industry episode is brought to you by smart futures the latest news from the only online portal dedicated to the future of digitalization 
visit smartfutures.org.uk. Okay. I mean, another another question which uh, my colleague um, Andy Pye has uh, kind of raised is that with um, you know you hear it quite often in the news that that there's a problem with um, many over fifties leaving uh, the workforce. Are we are we seeing that in um, in engineering and, uh, and and what can we do to um, prevent that or to encourage people back into the industry perhaps? Um, Jamie, <laughs> yeah, we do see that. Um, we've seen, as in other sectors, people have become inactive um, during and after the pandemic, um, and we know that generally we have an aging workforce in, in manufacturing and engineering. Um, and in a member survey for our 2030 skills report, um, a, a significant proportion of uh, manufacturers expect you know between 10 and 20 percent of their workforce to retire in in, in the next decade mm. um so that's a huge chunk of the workforce potentially that is 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 going to be leaving taking you know huge amounts of, of um you know institutional knowledge um technical skills and experience with them so I, I think there are a couple of things here. Firstly, it's about sort of embracing, you know, flexible working and possibly, you know, flexible retirement, moving people to, to sort of part-time working if that maybe keeps them in the workforce for longer. Um, you know, it's about sort of making sure that, you know, those sort of older workers as they perhaps transition out of the workforce are, you know, actively mentoring um the the sort of the younger people in the firm and that might take a more formal uh, role as well so another one of the policy recommendations that we've made um is that government uses a program that it, it, it introduced last year called the workforce industry exchange mm-hmm. um to uh help older workers who are retiring or who have recently uh left the workforce um to move flexibly, perhaps on a part-time basis, if not a full-time basis, um, into the teaching workforce. Um, so bringing that recent relevant experience and knowledge of frontline industry um, to, to, to help to, to educate and bring through the, the, uh, the next generation. We see employers already doing that. I've had conversations with members who are seconding their members of staff to the local FE college to, to help to train their apprentices. Um, you know, that helps keep older workers in the workforce for longer because you're varying their experiences, mm-hmm. still giving them new opportunities, learning new skills. It really encourages the apprentices and the learners because they really value being taught by an expert um, you know, and they can make that sort of direct link between what they're learning and, and, and a future career. And it just helps to establish the firm locally, you know, as an institution and a local employer of choice. Um, so I think it's that sort of thing that is going to make a real difference. Um, you know, not just helping to keep those people in the workforce for longer, but making sure they're making an active contribution in bringing through the next generation. Uh, and making sure those new people coming through into the sector are being equipped with the right technical skills. Ikesh, what do you think? Yep, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I completely agree with all of those points, Jamie. It's it's one of those things where our aging first workforce is is worrying um, to say the least. But it's it's it happens um, you know in in all industries, but with the engineering sector in particular, I think engineering is one of those types of jobs where you can learn more than ever from experience. Experience is so powerful in our industry. You know, there are there are people who have had so much experience yet have no engineering qualification because they may have not existed at the time when they started doing it. Panel builders, maybe, for example, is just one I can think of at the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, but these sorts of jobs didn't have qualifications back way back when, mm -hmm. but they are now top of the level. You know, you would they would be second to none at the top of their game and they're looking to maybe retire in the next five, 10 years. So this is, this is worrying for us where there's two things here where you can see one, there's a need for more qualifications and recognized qualifications or not even big ones, not degrees and things like that. I'm talking like mm -hmm. PMQ and project management, for example, we all know it. We all know ISM for sales, but we don't know any small things for becoming an engineering operations manager. We don't know any small qualifications that are recognized amongst everyone. These sorts of things, maybe perhaps it might be a government side of things to get involved with creating these mini qualifications that would give the younger workforce something to work towards and achieve and say you know if I become that then it would lead me into that path and you know work alongside somebody who's qualified many years ago I think that's one of the things that we need to do more than ever before is put those younger young engineers alongside those who have had all this experience for many many years and get them to shadow a lot more from mm -hmm. a much wider age because it does it's almost like that it's that morbid question where you know, it's like writing a will you don't you don't really want to do it until you think about it and it's one of those things where you don't really want to address someone retiring until they start talking about it but mm -hmm. all the companies will have the same situation so i think it needs to be addressed you know when they're 50 years of age when they're 45 years of age they need to start thinking about it. it's going to happen in 10 years but look how much industry changes in that year so you know give them that upskilling from a very very early age we see it in things like standards all the time. I work quite a lot in standards. And some of the, the level of knowledge that the technical experts we have in Gambica is unrivaled. You know, they have such good knowledge and that's because they've worked in it for so many years. And I always think to myself, you know, they need to pass this knowledge down to other members within their company so that other, sorry, employees within their company so that it doesn't get lost as they start retiring. So, and, and they are doing, you know, there are many companies who are seeing it start to happen and there are, it's, 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 it's being addressed, but it does need to happen a lot more and faster. I mean, one of the um, issues I can see um, is that lifelong learning hasn't really been taken too seriously um, by, by the government. Um, I mean, what, for example, we have in place uh, the ELQ rule. I don't know whether you, you both know about this. Um, have, have, have you heard of the ELQ rule, which is the equivalent level qualifications? It basically means that you, uh, someone can't actually study for a, um, a level of qualification that they already hold. Um, but or, or below so if you're you know if you have a um a kind of a, a level five qualification then you won't be able to study for another level five qualification um 
and I can see that being an issue potentially for people, especially in older people who have who have the qualifications, maybe degree level or, or further, but can't perhaps retrain in a specific area that they would need to because they already hold a higher level qualification. And I think that perhaps maybe needs to be addressed or, or kind of the issue of lifelong learning, which the which the government you know, hasn't really addressed, in my opinion. I don't know whether you agree with with uh, with that. I completely agree. That sounds. I didn't. I didn't know too much about that. From what you're saying, it does. It sounds like that is an issue in itself that needs to be addressed. Because, as you say, you know, there are there are an older workforce that needs to address this issue and needs to actually, you know, it's 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 not fair if you think about it in that sense. It's not mm -hmm. fair. They they need to have the equal opportunity as somebody coming straight out of university to develop their career. Um, you know, there, there there are ways that everyone needs to learn. So. I don't think anyone should be restricted in being able to get, um, you know, enhance their qualifications in any way, whether it's going one step higher or one step lower. What, what I mean by that is that the, the government wouldn't fund, you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to access loans or you wouldn't be able to, you'd have to self-fund that, that qualification yes. yourself, I think. So, um, yeah. Jamie, what do, you, what do you think perhaps about lifelong learning? Yeah, uh, I think absolutely right that, you know, we... I mean, we spoke a bit earlier about Germany and other countries, and we, mm. don't, we don't have, I think, the same concept of lifelong learning as, as perhaps other countries do um, in the UK. And I think it's a really important point about um, being able to uh, study qualifications <clears throat> at the same level or, or below, because one of the interventions, again, that government did make was... Um, to introduce the uh, free entitlement to a, a first level three qualification. Mm. Um, take up of that has been fairly low. Um, and actually what I think would make a much bigger difference would, would be if it wasn't just a first level three qualification, but you know, moving beyond that, because, you know, and it won't just be for, for older workers, but across the board, you know, people may need to to sort of retrain and upskill in different areas that require, in effect, just a qualification at the same level as as one they already hold. Mm. Um, so I think you're absolutely right, Aaron, and and um, in particular that that point about the the level three qualifications, I think, is really important. That's also an issue um, we're seeing at, at, at the entry point as well. Um, where I mentioned earlier the new T levels that are being introduced, they are a level three qualification uh, mm -hmm. for, for 16 to 18 year olds. Um, and the idea and, and, and the hope, I think, for most employers is that they would provide an opportunity to then take on one of those learners as, as an apprentice. Now, the government often uses the language of T-level learners progressing on to a higher level apprenticeship, whereas in fact, the nature of a T-level means that it is primarily, I think, a knowledge-based qualification rather than a skills-based qualification. Um, and so most employers actually would want to put, you know, if they were able to, to take on a T-level learner, um, would want to progress them onto a level three apprenticeship rather than the, you know, an apprenticeship at level four or above to make sure they have that broad-based mm -hmm. um, 
uh, sort of knowledge and skills and really kind of honing the technical skills that they might not have had the opportunity to do at an earlier stage in the T-level. Um, so we see that that issue really playing out at that level as well. Um, you know, and, and employers wanting to engage with T-levels to create a future pipeline of talent, but are uncertain how to do that if they feel they can't then put them on an apprenticeship at the right level uh, that is going to give them the, the 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 right experience and the technical skills that they need. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to start to to wrap things up. Um, however, I'd like to ask you both one one final thing before we before we leave today. Um, if I could ask both both of you, how where where do you where do you see engineering skills in the next five years? If I can ask with, uh, with Jamie, or, or where would you at least like like to see engineering skills in the next five years? If I start with Jamie. Yeah, I think it's, and I suppose, you know, I will think about this with a, a sort of policy and government engagement sort of hat on. Um, yeah, I think just much greater government support for technical and vocational skills provision. I think we're we're starting to see that, but I think you know in the next five years, we know that employers are not confident generally that they will have the technical skills that they need, um, and so we need those to to start coming through now. So, greater government support through apprenticeships and other vocational routes um, to make sure that we've got the right level of technical skill in the workforce in in five to ten years' time. Great, Nikesh. Yeah, and just to couple with that, um, along with that, I think we we need the 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 route for engineers to be established a bit clearer and defined more by both industry and academia. We need to we need to mould that understanding between the two, so that there is an understanding between both sides of um, both sides of them. Um, and I think you know. The, the, the requirement for technical knowledge, the requirement for that leadership skill, the requirement for innovation and creativity is becoming greater than ever. And I think in five years time, we'll hopefully see a much better skilled workforce that are capable of being able to just um, be a bit more flexible within the engineering world. Um, that's something that I'd like to see as well. That's great. No, well, that, unfortunately, that, that runs us out of time. Uh, so I'd like to thank you both for, for your contributions. And um, thank you to everyone who, um, who, who, was, uh, who, who listened in today. Um, there's just um, one final thing I'd like to kind of promote is which is the um, Talking Industry Live, which is due to take place on the 25th of April, 2023 at the MTC. Um, so uh, if, you, if you want to find out more about the event, please get in touch with us. Um, you can get in touch via email, LinkedIn, or via our, our website. In the meantime, um, I, I thank you very much for attending and, and look forward to uh, seeing you both at the next um, uh, Talking Industry event. Thanks very much, Anne. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.